The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show. Sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we've got a great show planned for you tonight if you're stuck in traffic. And believe me, I saw you on the way here to the station. You are stuck in traffic. Kick those shoes off. Relax. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to have Elaine Del Valle. She is Ladra from politicalcortarito.com, which is one of Miami's best blogs. It's all about local politics, which these days includes some national politics. We have a couple of presidential candidates who are from Miami, and Elaine covers them. And she is going to be with us on the air for most of the 7 o'clock hour. And later on in the 7 o'clock hour, we are going to bring in live in studio Carlos Miller from PhotographyIsNotACrime.com. And we'll all be here to discuss local political events. There's been local elections that happened last November. We featured them extensively and then shifted into talking about those authors who are going to be at the book fair. And now that everybody has been sworn in, we're going to find out a little bit more about what's going on. And Carlos Miller is in studio with us from PhotographyIsNotACrime.com. And we will be discussing the event that is trending on Facebook today, trending nationally, I believe, on Facebook. And it is the shooting that occurred, the police shooting that occurred on Alton Road uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, clogging art. I'm sorry. It was. uh, Yeah, it was. It was Saturday afternoon, uh, clogging the streets during Art Basel. And, uh, well, I think that that it's on the minds of a lot of folks. And at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we have Noel from The Mouse King calling in. And we're going to spend the rest of the 8 o'clock hour playing some of our greatest hits from the Only in Miami show. We're actually just entering our second year on the air. That's right. We finished our two-year anniversary last week and this is a chance for us to play some of our favorites from earlier this year uh, like Fresh Kid Ice um, and a few others uh, especially Fresh Kid Ice I promise you we're going to play some of his interview during the eight o'clock hour but this is the time of the show where I get a few minutes to speak directly to you the audience about issues of importance that affect us in Miami or beyond And I wanted to speak about the MLS Stadium proposal, which has been announced as going into 650 Northwest 8th Street, which is just a few blocks from the Marlins Stadium, a couple of blocks from the Miami River. And really, it's actually directly in between the American Airlines Arena and the Marlins Park off of Northwest 8th Street. 
And I'd like to commend MLS for taking a risk and for picking an area that I think has a ton of potential. And that is that area in the western part of Overtown. Northwest 7th Avenue is the start of 441. It's a surface highway that runs all the way up into Broward and beyond. And it runs over the 8th Avenue Bridge, over the Miami River, and over to Southwest 8th Street. So it's actually very easy to get around in that area. I've driven through that area for many years, especially anytime I'm going near the Marlins Park area from the, the Biscayne Corridor. And what most people may not realize is that it's only a few blocks from I-95 South. If you take the 836 Dolphin Expressway West and you take I-95 South and you take the very first exit and hang a right-hand turn, it is three blocks away. So it's a much better location than people realize because most folks haven't driven by that little stretch of the river. And there's a lot of small storefronts that are already there that I'm hoping once there is an attraction like an MLS stadium will become revitalized and house new retail or even restaurant or bars uh, in those retail areas. And also one of Miami's great hidden gems uh, Garcia's restaurant is just blocks from the proposed MLS uh, stadium and the Culmer Metro mover uh, Metro rail station, excuse me, is just a few short blocks away as well. It's a great opportunity for the entire Culmer area, the Spring Hill area of Miami, these older neighborhoods near the Miami River to really rejuvenate and to have a major attraction nearby that hopefully just as Beckham's group envisions will walk to the MLS soccer matches from their homes. And with any luck, it becomes a successful franchise on privately owned land. And we're going to talk about that with Elaine Del Valle when we come back. This is the only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live, and we've got Elaine Del Valle from Political Cortadito with us on the phone. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Grant, for inviting me. Always a pleasure. 
So why don't we start with what I was just talking about, this newest MLS stadium deal. What's the dirt? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to agree with you on the fact that I think that this, of all the locations so far, has been the most uh, appealing as far as economic development is concerned, as far as um, using you know a combination of public and privately owned land paid uh, for at market value, uh, taxable uh, land uh, for the development. It's going to, you know, breathe life into an area that needs it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I am concerned about the parking. I know that you think it's easy to get to and that there's a lot of, uh, you know, avenues to get to it. I think there is some transit, mass transit nearby. Um, but, you know, you we live in a world that is very uh, car-centric. Uh, we don't want to get out of our cars, and I just feel that it will not be successful if there's not a major parking component, which I think can be can be done, uh, probably. Um, they might have to expand from the footprint of those two blocks and go over across, you know, either east or something um, to maybe do a parking garage. I, I do think that, you know, this kind of thing, as you, as you may have said or hinted towards, you know, this type of development will, you know, spawn other developments across the street and in a neighboring block. So that's, that's a good thing. Right. Um, I, I'm hoping I that this is, this bucks insider, the trend. The insider connection, though. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how, and I know that the people who are close to the mayor, including the father of his fundraiser, um, own the six, all six parcels. Of private line. It's not like the Little Havana, you know, situation where you had individual property owners. You know, we have, you know, they're dealing with one property owner um, that owns the other properties on the same block as the Miami-Dade property. Um, that property owner is a company that is owned by Chris Korge and Barry Goldmeyer, the father of Brian Goldmeyer. Um, and, you know, they, they did buy it in 2006. So I'm not saying that there's anything, you know, it's not like they, they bought the line because they knew that it was coming, you know, but I'm just wondering how many other locations in Overtown were giving any kind of serious consideration of this location was thought, you know, specifically because of who owns the land. You know, it, it, well, the, the I've asked if the Miami-Dade building that's going to be sold is on the surplus list. Um, they have still not answered me, but it'd be interesting to find out if it suddenly appears on the surplus list. Right. Well, that's the thing. The, the main attraction there is the larger parcel, the four-and-a-half-acre parcel, I suppose, that uh, it's held by Windsor Capital. And that was actually like a large warehouse complex, ironically, uh, that one of my clients uh, was looking at buying uh, back in 2005 and six as well. She thought it would be a great location for some sort of health club. Um, so I'm very familiar with this location. And yeah, you know, somebody's always going to own property. And let's face it, um, a lot of property owners do know politicians and they're fairly connected too. So this would probably, you know, something like this could happen anywhere. But as we saw next to the Marlins Park, um, not having any connection to the property owners kind of sunk the deal. Right? right, right. But I mean, we still don't know, you know, what these, you know, what the team is willing to pay for this property, um, which, you know, some might say, you know, what the value, you know, some might say might compare in value or might be even less valuable than the daycare property, for example. In, in Little Havana, um, you know, so so we, we still yet have to see how this all pans out, what the price is. I agree that, you know, the main property or the address of the property is the property that you mentioned, which I think the Windstorm Investments Group owns now. And at one point, it was going to be, you know, some kind of residential um, unit or complex. But, you know, it, it won't happen without the other block. You know, the, right. the, the, the MLS Miami or Beckham United has said that they want 
you know, the whole nine acre, it's the, it's the two block radius. It won't happen without the other block, which is where the Miami Dade building is, um, and the other private companies that are, are, are owned by the, the political connections to the mayor. Now, well, I haven't searched yet, but I will. To okay. See who owns the properties <laughs> across the streets? Uh, you know, around the stadium as well. Well, I'll um, tell and, you this. You know, and, and, and I, I'll I'm tell not you this. This is not a good deal. It may be a good deal. I just want to know the specifics of who knew what when, and you know, make sure that people are getting you know equitable amounts and not you know bloated or inflated uh, market values. Well, uh, I'll tell you this much. One thing in particular that I noticed is that they kept talking about having. Uh, nine acres of land, and that's the minimum amount of land in the city of Miami for what they call a special area plan. So I think that tells us what kind of zoning they're looking to do. They're looking to, you know, accumulate nine acres and create their own special stadium zone on those nine acres. Ah, see, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. So that's why the nine acres is that magic number that's the that magic I've been number. told by my sources that they they will absolutely not back off of, and that's probably the reason. So that oh, makes yes. a lot of sense. I would say I'm more familiar with special districts than anybody in this town anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk about the the politicians who've been seated, the new uh, elect the newly elected officials, and uh, and let's get Lajo's grades thus far. Um, Ken Russell was seated uh, the day before Thanksgiving. Has he had anything to be graded on yet? I don't think so. I don't think either one of them have had a meeting yet. I think their first meetings are this week. Um, I believe uh, Ken Russell's first meeting is Thursday, if, if I'm not mistaken, the 10th. Um, okay. And I think that uh, Kristen Rosen Gonzalez's first meeting is on Wednesday of this week. So we'll get to see, you know, how they uh, how how they are this week. Now, I will say that I have seen. The agenda package that the commissioners got for uh, in Miami Beach, and it is huge. It's enormous. And so she's got a lot of reading uh, to do in the next couple of days before uh, the meeting. And I believe that there are some very important, um, you know, issues on there, including uh, something about you know, per, you know giving some type of uh, lease to a uh, oceanside or beachside park that a lot of residents are up in arms about um, because uh, Sabrina Cohen wants to build a wellness uh, center uh, for disabled people who don't have access to the beach or don't have a lot of access to the beach. Um, and, you know, she's working out some kind of deal with the city to give her this this, uh, this lease. And there are a lot of residents who are against it because they just think that the plan is, is too much. So that's going to be an interesting Wednesday to see, you know, how she turns out. Um, I, I don't know what's on the agenda for Thursday's Miami meeting, but I think, you know, definitely the, the first meeting sets, is the opportunity to set the tone and let people know what kind of commissioner they're going to be. Absolutely. We will find out a lot of things in this first meeting for these new commissioners. Um, but what are we finding out about the Miami-Dade mayor's race? Because it's starting to take shape, isn't it? Well, I don't know if it's starting to take shape or if it's just, you know, I mean, I guess it is in the sense that uh, Raquel Regalado, who's the only declared challenger so far, um, is dropping her first mailer this week. Um, but, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the mayor, the incumbent, has had uh, radio commercials in Spanish uh, paid for by a nonprofit that you can't trace the money from. And also, you know, had walkers, I think, a few months ago leave door hangers in Little Havana, of all places. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of getting started a little slow. Um, it, it looks like there was a lot of activity a few months ago, right after 
um, the school board member, Rebecca Grado, announced. Um, you know, she was, uh, you know, suing the, the county. There was a lot of back and forth. She was debating his spokesman on TV. And I think that in the last couple of months, a lot of that has died down. But we're going to see it uh, come back up again, you know, early in the next year if the news cycles are not dominated by the legislature. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I, I do expect the, the campaigning to start in earnest, uh, for real, um, early next year, certainly by February. Well, the big question that everybody is asking in the Miami-Dade County mayor's race is, will there be a second challenger? And we're, of course, talking about former city of Miami mayor Xavier Suarez. <laughs> Have you heard any final indications? Because he, <laughs> he kept saying, hey, I'm going to make a big announcement pretty soon. And uh, well, I don't think he, anybody he has yet. repeatedly said, I don't want to say promise, but, um, you know, certainly, you know, Com, you know, made commitments to make the announcement or the decision um, by the end, you know, after the end of the year. So I think by the beginning of, of the year, we'll have uh, a certain answer from him one way or another. Um, I don't think that he's going to jump in um, for a lot of reasons. I think that, you know, he's, uh, he, he, I think that he doesn't, I think he wants to concentrate on helping his son become the mayor of Miami uh, is one reason. Um, and I think that also, he did not do as well on the fundraiser in October as I think he wanted to do um, and has not garnered the type of excitement or support for a possible campaign that he wanted. Um, so I'm not sure that he's going to jump in. Now, that's not to say that there's not another third candidate that might jump in. You know, I have heard, um, you know, about a lot of, you know, a lot of people that, that, not a lot of people, a few other people who have, you know, threatened or, you know, considered jumping in, including Joe Martinez again, although I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and including a couple of the other, you know, commissioners who, you know, we, we yet have to see if they jump in or they're pushed in by somebody else. Okay. I, I hadn't heard any rumors that there were any commissioners besides uh, Mr. Suarez who were really considering it. Well, I think um, Commissioner Juan Zapata actually has said it a couple of months ago um, during the budget process, you know, kind of, you know, threatened. I don't know if that was an empty threat. Um, well, and I know that a lot of people have been encouraging um, Chairman Dean Monestine to, to, to run. I, I think that's maybe because there's always been a black candidate, you know, and the black community wants there to be a black candidate, as, as I probably should with the Miami or Miami-Dade election. Um, so I, I don't know if he's the only one that's been approached, but I do know people who have approached him. Well, Mr. Zapata has made a lot of waves about the West End and about policing in the West End. Um, do you think he has a point there? I think he has a point there, and I think he has a point also with the budget. I think I think Zapata has been one of the more, you know, like Suarez, one of the more independent-minded commissioners, um, and he asks a lot of the really good questions. He's very frustrated with the budget process, um, which, you know, it, it's just there's, there's just too many departments, too many categories. He wants to see it more streamlined. Um, he thinks there's a lot of double-dipping going on. Um, he also, you know, was very concerned about the, the issue with the special taxing districts. Um, that was uncovered uh, earlier, you know, this year that that I wrote about in Political Cortadito, where you had people, you know, uh, not paying for, you know, security and lighting that the the county was providing. Um, oh. So they were either paying for it out of the general fund, or they were paying for it out of other special taxing districts that were perhaps paying too much. Well, which is what you know, pe- what they found at the end of the day was that some people were paying for other people's special taxing districts. Oh man. Um, yeah, and that since has been supposedly fixed, although it's going to be revisited. And I think part of what the, the the county is looking at 
is allowing cities, you know, wh- whether our cities like, uh, you know, Coral Gables or uh, Miami Lakes. Yes, they proposed um, a charter or, you know, amendment. Have the cities, to, you know, right, have the cities right. manage the, the special taxing districts, which I think is a very good idea. Well, let's, um, let, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a very short break and we're going to debate that idea. Okay. Um, because I have my own opinion about it, and, and we're going to talk to the audience because this is an issue that you're going to have to vote on, I think, in November of next year, everybody in Miami-Dade County. And, uh, after is, that the, a ba- is it a ballot issue? Is it something that goes to the ballot? Yes, it is a ballot issue. I've okay. actually got a copy of it. I'll have to send it over to you. Oh, cool. Or maybe it, it, tweet I it. it comes from Bobo's office, right? Oh, yeah. So, okay. um, so let me do this. Before we go, I'm going to give out the call-in number one time, 305-541-2350. I've got two tickets for this Wednesday's Champion Mindset events. Uh, Les Brown, motivational speaker, will be there. It's an all-day event. I've got two tickets to give away. Call in 305-541-2350. That's 305-541-2350. The second call at the break wins the tickets and will be right back. This is the only in Miami show. I want treats, I want treats, I want lots and lots of treats. I want everything inside this room and more. What good luck just for me, my own private candy spree. I've been trying to find this place for many days. Part of getting what I want is finding what I want. Now I've found what I want, now I'll get what I want. Thanks. I want treats, I want treats, I want lots and lots of treats. I want treats. I brought this, my gift to the baby. With no mice around, Uncle Drosselmeyer now is a clockmaker and a toy maker. And you know it's quite easy to turn a toy into a mousetrap. I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the brand new king. I know everything inside this We're giving away two tickets, that's right, two tickets to this Wednesday's Champion Mindset events. Special guest speaker, Les Brown. And 8.80 a.m.'s own Pete Delatory. That's right, 8.80 The Business. Pete Delatory will be speaking at the Champion Mindset events this Wednesday, all day, December 9th. Call in. We've got two free tickets, 305-541-2350. That's 305-541-2350. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And you're listening to music from The Mouse King all night tonight. We're going to have one of the creators on the program later in the evening. And welcome back, Elaine. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. We're with Elaine Del Valle. She writes politicalcourt.ito.com. If you haven't read it yet, you just don't know what's going on. Right? So where were we? We were talking about the uh, special taxing districts. Yes. That's something that's near and dear to your heart. Oh, yeah. So so Miami-Dade, okay, so the state of Florida created these special taxing districts. And uh, for many of you, you don't have one. You live in what's called an HOA, a homeowners association. You have a group of houses, and they all pitch in to pay for the common maintenance of the property that you live in, like the, you know, everything besides your little home. 
uh, inside the bigger complex. Well, special districts act like that, but they can tie together commercial property. They can tie together any sort of piece of property, and they're a semi-governmental organization. In fact, they're called a sub-governmental organization. And to make one, you have to have an act of the city that you're in and the county commission. So as you were saying, the county has proposed, and, and it's going to a charter amendment vote, that uh, the county will only regulate these special districts if they're all inside of county territory. Right. Otherwise, they'll be regulated primarily by the cities that the special districts are within. So why do you think that's a good idea, Elaine? Well, I think that the cities might be able to bring the costs of these uh, services down. They're they're already they're already providing services. Um, you know, I, I think that an additional layer of service is going to be better provided at the local level. I do have the fear that you know, in these smaller cities, depending on what you're talking about, you know, particularly when we're talking, when we're talking about places like Sweetwater or Hialeah, there's going to be another opportunity for graft and corruption. Yeah, I mean, that's that was kind of my big beef with it. It's like, oh, let's just take uh, Virginia Gardens and whatever special district they have, we'll let Virginia Gardens deal with it. Well, it's like a tiny city of like 2,000 people, right? Right. I mean, how many people live in Virginia Gardens? I mean, Sweetwater is, you know. Right, and, and I understand Sweetwater. where you're coming from, where you know, because it does provide, you know, those council members in those small cities where, you know, there's not that much... Uh, scrutiny, an opportunity to, you know, commit some type of, you know, malfeasance. However, that said, um, you know, it, it can also be done right. And, you know, if people have to be watchful of their own government. You know, they have to watch this. This is an opportunity to, to bring that down and to allow other neighborhoods, you know, now other neighborhoods in, in a town like Miami Lakes or in a town like, you know, Pinecrest or Coral Gables, can go to the city and say, okay, now we want a, a special tax that's going to be through the city, and we know that the services are going to be there, and we know that it's going to be done right. But those districts, though, right. but those districts take money out of local coffers when they own property that's not taxed. So, you know... Huh? A, what? Like, like, for example, Midtown has a special district. It's called the Midtown Community Development District. Right, but these are not. But these are special taxing districts, are not like CRAs or community development districts in the sense that they still pay the regular tax that they have to pay to the city and the school board of the county. They are taxed additionally, seven dollars, nine dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars, whatever it is, for their guard gate or their street lights or their lake maintenance. You know, it, it's an additional tax that's like, le, you know, that's like levied on top. It's not taking taxes that they already pay on their property and earmarking them for other services. It's well, levying new taxes on the, them. If the special district is founded by the, the state legislature's Chapter 190, that means actually any property it owns doesn't pay property taxes because it is itself subgovernmental. Yeah. Like in Midtown, the Parking garages in Midtown are owned by one of these community development districts. It's a special taxing district. They don't. They're exempt from taxes. I don't but, think that that's the same thing with the, you know with like the Lakes of the Meadows special taxing district for their lighting. I don't think that those homes don't have to pay county taxes. Oh no no no, the homes don't. Fifteen dollar lighting, but that's what I'm right, talking but about. There's, there's so many, but there's so many. But there's so many flavors of these. Are, are residential. Right. There's so many flavors of them though. 
There's all these different varieties. And my big concern isn't so much with the smaller ones where it's like, oh, you know, you're paying $15 a, a month for lighting, but rather the ones like Midtown where, uh, as, you know, as a government, we've borrowed $100 million or, or $200 million to create a subdivision. And now we have bonds and we're paying those back, you know? So there's there's so many different flavors. I, I feel like what they're going to do is one size fits all, which may not be appropriate for local government in this town. Well, I, I may go the opposite with you on that one because, I mean, if, if you're telling me that commercial properties or larger properties get a break off their tax while, you know, smaller properties and, and don't, I, I don't, I don't agree that that's the right way to go. I mean, you know, it, it, it should be, you know, the same, the same thing should apply to anybody who's in a special taxing district, you know, and I, and I don't think that they should get tax abatement from their other obligations you know, to the school board and the county and whatever municipality that they're in. You know, the any any special taxing district money, uh, as far as I understood, I'm going to have to go back and look at this, is on top of that. Um, well, anyway, the, the that, money is on up, top. I think at the very, I, I, is that coming up on the 15th or in January? Mm, I'm it not might, sure. It might come up on the 15th. It might come up on the 15th, but as I understand it, it will be a county charter issue, and it's going to be on the ballot next year. If they if it comes up, it's just to approve it to go on to next. Well, no, no, the commissioners ballot. have to put it on the on the ballot. I think. Right, 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 right. That's what that's why it's coming up. But that that will be definitely interesting. You know, I'll take a look at the legislation once again because I didn't. You know, I certainly did not expect that. You know, the taxes for the county would be, uh, you know, would be would disappear because they're in a special taxing district. That would not. Well, that's not. Let's do this. I'm going to bring in Carlos Miller. He's live in studio with us. Carlos. Okay. Hey, Elaine, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. So for those in our audience, Carlos is the founder and publisher of PhotographyIsNotACrime.com, a local news website that is national and covers police matters, civil rights. And I wanted to bring in Carlos specifically uh, with you, Ladra, to talk about the many, many instances of police brutality and abuse that we have seen in South Florida just in the last week. Um there's there's been so many of them. Um, I mean, I want to start with the one that that hit closest to home for me until all of this weekend's craziness, which was uh, an officer at Publix on Biscayne Boulevard and Seventeenth Street. Um, a city of Miami officer was not disciplined by uh, the internal affairs at the city of Miami Police Department, uh, but the citizen in, in investigative panel uh, found him guilty of misconduct. Um, have you heard anything further about this officer's employment status with the city of Miami? Because as I've heard, Publix uh, relieved him of his duties at their uh, supermarket. Did you see about this one? This was in the Are, you, are you talking to Elaine or myself? Yeah, I, 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 I'm asking you, Carlos, but I'm also asking Elaine yeah. if she's heard anything yeah, I, I, about honestly, this. Honestly, I, I, I have not been following the details on that. I know the story. I'm following a lot more closely the Miami Beach story. Which is the one that we've all been following. Is the whole world is watching that one. And you know, I'm just reading a story now about Jim DeFeedy from CBS, and he's basically writing that the cop who shot and killed this guy violated departmental policy, because and, and not only that, the cop who tased the man also did, because he's supposed to yell tase, 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 before he shoots his taser to let the other cops know what's happening. You know, so in this case, he did not. The other cop with the assault rifle. Heard the tase and shot his gun, and as Jim DeFeedy writes here, 
Six-tenths of a second after the taser's crack can be heard, the officer with the assault rifle pulled the trigger and fired the first shot into Winesett, who was already falling backward from the taser. And another seven-tenths of a second, as Winesett hit gr- hits the ground, the officer fired a second round from the assault rifle, killing Winesett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um... And they call this sympathetic gunfire. That's in quotations. Sympathetic gunfire means when, when in this case, you know, the cop, he hears the, the crack of the taser. Right. He thinks he needs to pull the trigger to keep his, his um, co-worker, you know, fellow officer safe. So it's sympathetic gunfire. We don't know what we're shooting. We don't care. But, hey, we're keeping our guys safe. Oh, man. <laughs> That's it. Well, I mean, Elaine, you've seen the, the last administration of Miami Beach leave and— the new people arrive, including Chief Oates. Are we seeing any difference in behavior on the streets from their officers? No, no, you know, we're not. I mean, this is the same department that, you know, just a couple of years ago with a taser, you know, killed a young man because he was graffitiing a building. Um, Israel you know, Hernandez, yes. Right. Yeah, Israel Hernandez. He posed, I think, even less of a threat. You know, obviously, than this man. You know, this man didn't have like a razor, a straight razor knife. You know, but but certainly, you know, it, even if you don't taser him, I mean, you're going to tell me that two or three police officers that were there on the scene could not have, you know, gotten a hold of that that man without how, how having many, to use, you know, deadly force. Of course, they could have. How many officers you know, were there, Carlos? There's at least four or five. Right? Yeah, there and they kept growing. You know, I mean, they kept coming and coming and. There's no way Tell yeah. me why they couldn't tackle him. Like, good old-fashioned tackling. They're, I mean, they were what, talk, well, they were talking to, to him. You know, why, they were talking to him. Why are police officers so loath to do that? We, you know, we see it all the time on TV. They, they chase the perps down and they tackle them. Why, why don't we see that? Why is it, you know, now in real life, they don't chase anybody down. They just stand where they are, aim, and shoot. Well, I and think it's not right. It's know? also striking that, you know, in Colorado, police could, you know, apprehend alive a suspect who was armed with a firearm not with some rinky-dink barber's razor, um, but armed with a real firearm that he had just killed an officer, wounded four others, killed two more, including a veteran, and wounded 11 people total. Yet they, they, the Colorado police, the Colorado Springs police, could apprehend him alive. And Chief Oates, who came here from Aurora, doesn't have, after a whole year in office, a little more than that, hasn't been able to convince Miami Beach police to do the same with suspects here. You know, another thing here is, even though we already know he violated policy, they haven't released his name. They haven't released anybody's name. So it's the same old, same old, you know. It's like, we have a new chief. I'm going to clean everything up. But you know what? We're circling the wagons right now. We're not going to release the names. Wow. Yeah, I mean, here we are three days later, and they still haven't released his name. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a problem. And, I, and you know... And I, I don't know that police cameras, the, the, the on-best cameras are going to make things any better, particularly if, if they're going to give us a hard time when we go to ask for them as public records, um, which they're trying to do, you know, by shielding them from public records laws. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the best things that's happening in, in the, in, you know, with these police shootings is that people, you know, who's, who are there have, now we have so many cell phone cameras that we are catching. I mean, I, I think I've seen the Miami Beach shooting from like three different angles. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, on photography is not a crime. Uh, dot com. I think it's we, we've got three different angles, and one of those okay. videos has uh, well over four hundred thousand views by now. And then, yeah, no. and I mean, even it's, it's, when, it's, and it's pretty shocking. And even know? if they don't release the footage, like we see in Chicago PD, had they've done, 
they released it more than a year later after lawsuits and everything. Right. It does get released. You know, you have to fight it. You have to push. You have to educate these people. You have to sue them. You have to do that. And we, that's why we do that. We have to keep fighting because this is our rights. And, you know, we want to keep the government transparent. Right. But we're lucky that we know to ask for this tape. You know, how many times do we not know to ask for tape? You know, it's just, you know, I, I, I think that there needs to be much more done as far as training, as far as, you know, standard operating procedures need to be changed. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to see a little bit more, you know, a little bit less uh, use of, you know, deadly force, you know, and more use of, of their minds, and you know, thinking. I mean, it's just, you know, like, like you said, you know, why is it possible to take down armed, you know, suspects elsewhere? And, you know, here, you know, we, we, we shoot and... You, you, know, know, you know what's I mean, great? It makes no sense. Well, well you know, what I found great, I found it very... You know, I was proud because my mom is Colombian, so I came across this video over the inter- the weekend where a group of police officers from Colombia were surrounding a man with a gun. The man was suicidal, same kind of deal. And they managed out with the guy where they just they talked to him, you know, they had they didn't even have their guns drawn. And then another cop walks from behind him, gets a nightstick and nails the, the knife out of his hand, just walks out of his hand like other cops just go up there and they they just handcuff them. You know, they pounce on them, but they don't punch them, they don't kick them. And it was just very calm. It was very, they used their mind, you can see. And that's we don't see that here in this country. Well, what's upsetting is is hearing from police in this country how pretty much everything is justified, including uh, the actions that I think anybody who saw them just inherently, like everybody who saw that video just inherently said, something is wrong here, you know? It didn't look like those officers were all afraid for their lives. They, I mean, they were probably legitimately concerned that something may happen. But, um, you know, the guy that did the firing was the furthest away from the original video. But see, what happened is they were talking to him for two minutes. The guy was talking to with his arms. He lifted up his arms at one point. That's when he got tased. That's when he got shot, right, you know, less than a second later. And they're going to say, well, he raised his arm. We were in, in fear for our lives. Even though you can see the video, he was just talking. You know, there was no threat behind his right. arm but pointing. Right, but then again, and, and here's where, you know, I know that I disagree with you guys you know, on, on this part. Because while I do think that this is lamentable, while I do think that there are, you know, far too many police-involved shootings on a national level, and, and we've seen them there in the news all the time, you know, I also think that it's very difficult to, you know, or it's very easy for us to, you know, sit here in, in our homes and in the radio you know, studio and make judgments on, you know, what's happening when the adrenaline is shooting through your body and, you know, you don't know if he's cut anybody up in the bank and you don't know what other, you know, weapons he may be holding and you don't know what else is going on. And so I think that the knee-jerk reaction to protect or to stand behind their fellow officer, you know, in, in a way it's commendable because, you know, they still don't really know everything that was going through his head, you know, as he stood just, you know, 10 feet away. It looked, looked like a lot of space for us. Well, but well, well, there, it's, still, it's still no I'm excuse. Sure it it's still like no excuse. Wait, let me just finish saying this because the thing is, you know, it, it's like everything else. It's like in politics. It, it's like in the medical industry. It, it's like in Hollywood. It's like in the banking industry. You know, you're always going to have your 5 to 10% who's bad. You know, but the far majority of police officers, I think, you know, are good and want to do a good job. And when this kind of thing happens, they start becoming automatically defensive because they never see anybody else defending them. You know, when a police officer is shot, 
whether it be by a white or black or Latino, it doesn't matter. You you don't see anybody, you know, doing Police Lives Matter. I mean, I actually... Oh, they get huge support. support. Actually, <laughs> they get huge actually, support. I, oh, I my God. God. Look, I, I, we're they, they, can take, raise, they can we, raise thousands of dollars within hours. Listen, I, I beg to differ because I actually had Javier Ortiz live on this radio program uh, when he was marching for Blue Lives Matter in front of the American Airlines Arena Nary one year ago practically on this show but you know what we're going to take a really short break Elaine you want to stick around for the last segment of the I, hour I will stick around because the only people who are marching were the police and that's that's my point is that you know they don't have a lot of support and I think that you know they need to have more support maybe they'll be you know more easy to you know, maybe they'll criticize each other more if they get more support from the community. Well, I'll tell you That's what, we're going to we're gonna pick this one back up after the break. We'll be right back. This is the Only in no, Miami no, show. No. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back with Carlos Miller, photographyisnotacrime.com, live in studio, and Elaine Del Valle, Ladra from Political Cortarito on the phone. Ladra, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. And I'm sorry to. You know, I'm, I'm glad it's getting good, actually. Oh, it's getting good. It's getting good. So why do you think we need to – how can we support police more than we already do? Because believe me, we do support police quite a bit. They were actually probably in the studio earlier. I saw the guys from the PBA here. Uh, they're, they're very vocal. They're out there in the community. Why is it that police are so – I, I, I guess we have to forgive them for killing. They and then don't we're... feel supported. They feel like every time that this happens, you know, people are very quick – you know, to judge them. And I think that that's probably why well, look, look, they reserve Elaine, judgment on themselves. Look, Elaine, I'm know? sorry. These cops have to get over it, you know. I mean, they don't want to be criticized, and they got to be better people to the public, better officers to the public. You know, they can't just be killing just because they can. We know it can happen. We know they can detain people right, without killing people. You're painting them all with, this, with the one brush. It's like, you know, no, and, I, and I, I am, am painting. I am painting. I am painting the institution of policing. Yeah, it doesn't know? matter. It doesn't matter because they're all part of the institution. Well, let me and, say this. Well, what you, you know, mentioned, what yes you mentioned no. about I mean, you Jim DeFeed. You, you can't generalize about any one population. Now, hold, you can't generalize well, about this population. Hold on a second. talking about the institution. I'll tell you. I know a lot of police officers and first responders, you know, and paramedics and firefighters. Me too. Me too. That's great. But police officers... You know, 
have a very difficult job, and right. they're very underappreciated. Some of them do have a very difficult and, job, and, and but... they can destroy your lives, and they do, and they get away with it, and they do yeah. it all the time. And so the doctors, and so the lawyers, and so no, the well, lawyers and doctors don't but, kill three you know, people but, a day. But the difference is, is that that doctors that's take an oath to first know? do no harm. Police no, I mean, do not. When lawyers kill three people a day, then people are going to be pissed off at lawyers more than they are. I don't think that you know. Uh, I, I I understand that you. You know where you're coming from. I just think that we are often too quick to paint them on. My my own daughter, my own 15 year old daughter, because she sees all the news. She says, "Oh, I hate cops." You know, you you know, you cannot paint all police with the same brush. Sure, there are people who abuse their power, and even that guy. You know, I don't know if he did it because he's a you know a racist, a nasty guy. He hated that guy, or or he was just scared for his life. We still no, don't usually, have all yeah, the facts. The, see, and we're scared for his life. Well, officers, and we hold them to a higher standard. Let me hold on, and, and let me put, that. but but let me point this out. You see, we hold them to a higher standard in the court of public opinion, but in the court of actual courts, they're held to a lower standard because ever since the William Lozano trial over 25 years ago, which was overturned on appeal. We here. cannot use the department's own policies to grade police in a criminal trial. So we actually hold them to a lower standard, a much lower standard than a citizen would for the same offense, because we do not factor in their training, which they are supposed to know and follow, if they are charged criminally. Right, That's but we a big also deal. don't factor in the fact that, you know, what their job is? No, we do. Maybe I don't, Elaine. I don't, but plenty of people do. And to deal with crime. There's so it's many. Like, there's so many cop lovers out there. You know, you act like it's like the world's overrun with cop no, haters. See, no, it's just like we're, we're just angry and we what see what's happening. With people like you who only judge and criticize meet people like me who are a little bit more open-minded. I do judge and criticize. I think what we saw in Miami Beach is ridiculous. And that, that officer should not be an officer, regardless. Of well, I agree with you there. Because he was scared or for you know nefarious reasons. Okay, it, it, it was an isolated incident. Nefarious then. reasons. I think that, that he could have legitimately been. He was just afraid. one of the, he was just a bad apple. Yeah, he was just a, you, know, you know a bad apple and and, and isolated They're experience. Not all bad apples. He wanted to They're go home not. to his family. He wanted to play with his big old toy gun, or you know he acted like it was a toy, but it's a real gun, and that's what happened. You know he couldn't okay, wait so to shoot the gun. Your exaggeration, your extremism. No, well, yeah, because I want to know his name. I want them to admit that they screwed up, but. No, they're not going to. And you know why? Because they've done it before. They've gone away with it before, and they're going well, to get away that, with it Okay, look, this time. There, there, there is a valid point, which is that the more public officials withhold what we all know those public officials have done when they withhold the information, because the whole world knows, okay? I mean, the entire world knows that guy did it, but they still won't release pertinent details. I mean, it's not like there's going to be a riot on Miami Beach if they release this gentleman's name. But there's no transparency. I mean, how can you hold anybody accountable if our government officials can just say, we have put in the interdict, this person is a secret policeman now? Well, they're, they're learning from Chicago. You know, they can get away with it in Chicago. They figure they can do it in Miami Beach. What do you think about Chicago, Elaine? You saw those videos. I, I, you know, I'm, you know I, I'm not an expert. You guys are the experts on this. Uh, all I'm saying is that it's difficult for me to paint the entire industry, let's call it, with one brush when I, you know, I know a lot of officers and they're good guys who will, you know, disown this type of behavior and who, you but know. But we want, we want them to. No, no, a lot of them do. Well, Elaine, hey, you want to hear a story, Elaine? You probably don't know this because you think we're all anti-mean cop haters, right? 
But yeah, we wrote a story about a Missouri cop who blew the whistle and they retaliated against him and he had to raise thousands of dollars just because he had to get legal support. And they had raised... Well, they filed criminal charges against that officer. Right. Well, they had raised on on kick go whatever go fund me go fund me yeah less than three thousand dollars in five months yeah and then meanwhile the cop who shot the the chicago guy jason van dyke he raised more than ten thousand dollars in less than 24 hours yeah yeah so yeah there's a lot of support for cops out there for bad cops you know but when the good cops are out there who's supporting them we put it out there and guess what they got they more than tripled their you know what they had well, that's the thing. There's not a lot of support for cops that blow the whistle. There just right, isn't. Right, but that's what I'm saying is that we need to we need to create a climate, I think, in which they feel comfortable to do that. Well, I, I, I asked Chief Oates in Miami Beach personally um, a, a while back if there was anything he was doing in the department, and he just temporized. Like, I asked him specifically, is there anything you're doing in Miami Beach to accommodate whistleblowers to help them you know, change the culture in the department. And I didn't hear anything other than the standard, um, you know, there's distaste for whistleblowers in the police culture. Of course, it's the blue mafia. Right. I mean, uh, am I wrong right. there? But I, think, I, think that, I think that that can be changed, you know, with the right mindset. I mean, you know, they're, you know, part of their job is to protect and serve. And, you know... Their, well, their, they, their own jobs. Know, by, by reporting bad behavior, they are protecting and serving. You know, they, it just has to become part of their. It has to become part of their badge of honor. Yeah, but but protect and serve is actually not what police do. In fact, the Supreme Court ruled in 2006 that police have no duty to protect any specific individual. It's true. It, it really is great public relations, though. I mean, it's right there on the side of the car, but it just it doesn't it lost meaning. And it's sad that it lost meaning. That used to have a very important meaning. Today's police. meaning is comply or die. Well, well, you know, again, you know, I think that that's an extreme uh, worldview of it. I still feel protected. I still feel better. You know, if I'm in a, you know, if, my, if I'm dropping off my teenage daughter at a party and there's a police officer outside, I feel better about it. Even though I know he's off duty and probably getting paid to do the party. I feel better about it. So I do still feel that even though they're not maybe obligated by the Supreme Court to protect, that they do serve that function in our society to some extent. I, I can see that you guys don't think that they serve that function at all, but I think that that's an, a ridiculous extreme position. No, we no, see, we see no, through the no, PR, no. though. <laughs> they, we see they through the PR. They like, you know, And you buy into the PR very well, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't most buy people into do. the PR, but well, I do believe that some of it is true. I don't believe... I, you know what, what I'm not going to do is go like the, that. Oh, it's all comply or die, which is what you said. Well, I it don't is. believe that that's the overwhelming. Uh, well, it comes down to it. Or environment in the police, you know, industry or in the police society today. I do believe that the overwhelming rule of order is protect and serve. That's what, what that's what drives them. I don't think that comply or die is what drives the majority of police officers today. I'm sorry if you think that that means I'm buying into their PR. Okay, so yeah. so let me ask a question to both of you guys, and and I'm going to let uh, Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo, Elaine, you go first. <laughs> we have five minutes left. So my question is, what could we do to change the way that police unions work so that they are not so involved in the public relations of what happens after an officer is involved 
in a shooting like what happened on Miami Beach because they were very much behind uh, or in front of the camera, excuse me, in Chicago after Laquan McDonald was shot, spreading hearsay. They called it themselves hearsay. How can we make it so unions are still there to represent officers, which they want and need, but not right. as a bad a a, an actor asking, at times? You know, I, I, I agree that they should not be spin doctors. Um, and they, before we know anything, they certainly shouldn't be saying anything either. Um, you know, they shouldn't be claiming innocence or that. You know, they, they need to take a more tempered and wait-and-see approach as well and say, you know, we will deal with this if it is, but, you know, but there is a process. The problem is because you have a union, and this I think is true of any labor organization, you know, they are there to represent their members and their members' best interests. It's like having an attorney. Your attorney right. is never going to be the one who says, like, well, she might be guilty. Let's just reserve that for later. Um, so they, they you know, that that's the role that they serve. Perhaps what we need to have is, an organization that's not police, not, neither police nor government, or, and I don't know how to do that. Maybe it's a, a you know a, a, a civic organization, a community organization that is the one that you know makes those statements and that reacts on behalf of police as well as on behalf of the victims. You know, somebody who can be you know a midway person. I, I don't know if that can exist, but I think that might be one way of doing it. Carlos, what do you think we can do to reform police unions because they're the most active? group in this whole uh, affair they're they're interfacing between the the yeah, populace yeah. Well, and well, the police well, we, and the, you know what well, we ha- we can't expect police unions to change themselves you can't expect cops to change themselves and we're no we're not in a time right now we're not whether we're able to do that because they're very strong and people are still disconnected or people are divided over the race issue and what we need to do now is basically just continue exposing the bad cops without worrying about offending the good cops. Because, yes, we know the good cops are out there, but, you know, they're not bad cops. They have nothing to worry about. It's not them. We're, we're writing about the bad cops. We help the good cops. We've proven that. But we've got to continue exposing the bad cops to let people know that, yeah, these unions are evil, that these cops don't really care. And, yes, it's comply or die because, you know, maybe you always comply so you don't have to worry about dying. But one day if you d- decide not to comply because it's an unlawful order, then you may die. Well, it's been a great discussion. It's been great having both of you on the program. Carlos, thank you so much for coming into the show tonight. Thanks for having me on. And, and, th- and thanks, Elaine. Good talking to you. It was fun. Yes. And uh, if you guys want to find out more about Carlos Miller and what he's doing, check out photographyisnotacrime.com, or you can hit him up on Twitter, at Carlos Miller. And Elaine, thank you very much for calling into the program tonight. It's my pleasure to have you on. It was fun, please. I'd love to come back. Absolutely. The door is open at the Only in Miami show. And if you want to find out more about what Elaine is writing about, go to politicalcourt.eatho.com or on Twitter. Check her out at News Chica. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at 
onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Noel McNeil. He is part of The Mouse King, which is playing this weekend. And Noel, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you for having me, and thanks for your listeners for listening. Well, we love having the Mouse King on the program during the holiday season because it's so much fun to play your music in for the breaks. <laughs> and uh, we just we always enjoy hearing it. Um, when is the Mouse King going to be live in Miami this weekend? It is this Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. for a special performance. And then it's this Friday at uh, 7.30. And then Sunday... Saturday and Sunday at 3 o'clock. Okay, so there's a special performance on Thursday at Thursday morning for, like, local kids and school groups. Right. And, uh, but the public, I'm sure, is, is, is available to come for that. So if you go to mousekingtickets.com, then the information is there. But we wanted to add one more show because apparently it's gotten popular in the last uh, three years. This is the third time we're doing it. That's and awesome. More and more people have heard about it and wanted to come and see it, so they've added yet another show this year. Well, you guys are in uh, South Miami, right? Yes, at the Mandelstam Theater. Okay, uh, where is that located? Um, it's in, um, in South Miami. It's um, it's on. Uh, if you go to mousekingtickets dot com, like all the information is there. The directions, uh, available parking. Uh, the showtimes, as well as uh, information, because the Man of Sam Theater is also part of the Man of Sam School, and so a lot of the kids who go to school are also part of the uh, production. Oh, I a, see. It's, it's, a, it's uh... a great academy of education, and then the Man of Sam Theater is associated with it. Right. It's right next to Dante Fassell Park, which is located on Red Road. It's 8530 Southwest 57th Avenue. Uh, it's it's just on the border between Pinecrest and uh, South Miami. Yes. All righty. And let's see. There's Friday at 7 p.m. And then Saturday and Sunday at 3 p.m. Yeah. And the tickets are twenty one sixty nine with service fee, right? Right. That's it. It's like probably the, the best fee in town for something that's so uh, holiday-flavored and Christmas-themed. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break because we're going to take a little listen to some more music from the Mouse King like we've been listening to for the whole evening, and then we've got plenty <laughs> of time to talk afterwards. So we're going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back live with Noel McNeil, who is one of the creators of The Mouse King. So, Noel, tell our audience a little bit about what we were just listening to. What song is that? And, and what part of The Mouse King is that? Oh, that's the uh, well. The, the Mouse King is sort of the backstory, the untold story of the Nutcracker. I always say, you know, don't believe that wooden doll propaganda. This is <laughs> the true story of what happened. And the Nutcracker is not as nice as you think he is. And really? So, yeah. so, so, so the, the Nutcrackers actually, are are kind of like uh, wooden uh, nut police. Yes, exactly. So the story um, tells about. The, the Mouse King, Mouserick, who's destined to be the Mouse King, and then how um, the evil nephew of Drosselmeyer, uh, Krakatuk, comes and wants to take over the Kingdom of Sweets. And as punishment, Astrolog, the court magician, turns Krakatuk into a nutcracker, and then Astrolog has to take baby Mouserick and, and flee and find a safe haven. And that's when they end up in the in the, the walls of this house and meet Mother Ginger and her children and they take them in and Mouserick grows and gets to know the other kids and then with his curiosity he discovers there's life outside the walls which his uncle's always warned him about ah. and he discovers the outside world and particularly humans the human girl Marie who he likes watching because uh, she's so kind and so gentle, and he's very curious about her. But Astrolog does not want him to go near humans after knowing what the human Krakatuk did to his family and to the kingdom. And so time goes by, and then we catch up to mice have this holiday called Christmas, and it's <laughs> the exact same time as our Christmas. And so while the food is the crumbs are falling through the floorboards into the, the mice's house. That's when Mouserick decides to go up and explore and find out what the humans are doing, and that's when he discovers Christmas, and that's when he discovers the Christmas party. So in a way, we've caught up now to what we all know from the ballet. This is the Christmas party, and now we see that Drosselmeyer's given uh, Marie the, the nutcracker, and she's sort of intrigued by this odd little doll. And uh, so, so what exactly inspired you to write The Mouse King and, and take this unique perspective on The Nutcracker, which is a story I think a lot of people have seen? Yes, uh, I credit my son, uh, Matty. Uh, when he was littler, not too long ago, he's 10 now, going on 42. But when he was <laughs> littler, uh, he, there was a year where he was just like obsessed with The Nutcracker. And we watched various Nutcrackers on TV. There was uh, the famous Balanchine Nutcracker. There was one from the Bolshoi Ballet from London. There was there was one weird one from France that we actually couldn't sit through. Then, then there was another <laughs> one that was um, actually from uh, 
for, from France, but it took place in the circus. And then there's Mark Morris's The Hard Nut, which is great. And it, all these different interpretations of the ballet in different scenarios. And so Maddie and I, and then a friend from across the hall, a girl, would come over and she would be, you know, Marie, and we would do um, the, the battle that the Nutcracker has with the Mouse King. So I would be the Mouse King, Maddie would be Nutcracker, and we would battle until it got to the point where we've done this so many times. It made me think, well, why are they battling? Like, what is going on? Why is there a fight? Why does the Mouse King just suddenly show up with all these mice? Like, what's going on? And so I did a little research and went to the original source, the uh, by Hoffman, who wrote the story of of the Nutcracker and the Mouse King, and that too is a very, very bizarre story. <laughs> and from that story, that's when they took the pieces that they liked, and uh, Tchaikovsky created the ballet. And so, from that perspective, after watching, I just wondered, well, what is the backstory of this? And so, inspired by Hoffman's tale, I did my own version of it so that it's the mice who actually are uh, running the, the stars the of the show. Sweets. And Krakatuk heard about it from his, uh, his uncle and has come to take over because he believes that sweets are made for children, not for mice. And mice so, are vermin. So uh, at what point did you meet Jim Camacho? Because I know he's, he's very central to the Mouse King as well. Yes. He, uh, he wrote music and the songs, and I met Jim through our mutual friend, actress Amy Garcia. And Amy is uh, an actress who's who's been on Broadway. And so, when she was in town a few years ago, she said, "Oh, uh, we invited her over for dinner." She said, "Oh, a friend of mine is in town. Jim, do you mind if he comes along?" I said, "No, he can come along too because we always like meeting new people." And he came, and we started talking, and I, I just mentioned in passing this idea, and Jim was rather intrigued by it. So, and this was back in um, um, a previous December. Then that following March, that's when he was in town again, and we met, and we sat down, and he said that, you know, he really wanted to, to do this and said that the Mandel Sam Theater would be totally interested in creating it. So I said, okay. And so from that March... Until that December, that's when the first performance of Mouse King was done. That was um, December of 2013. And so we met in March in 2013. So I met Jim in December of 2012. So that's how we got there. Well, that's and really also, cool. I mean, yeah, you, but you... And since then, too, Jim and I have done shows for the New York Bronx Zoo. We've done what they call the Boo at the Zoo celebration. And so Jim and I did um, the first show called Who Put the Trick and Trick or Treat? And then the second year, we did The Beast of the Magical World. And then last year, we did our last one, uh, which was The Carnival of Extraordinary Animals, a lovely 20-minute musical about extinction. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how did you, <laughs> how did you get into to puppetry in the first place? Because I heard that you were also on Sesame Street. Uh, yes, I'm actually going to Sesame Street uh, next week to do some work on it. And I was just on the Sesame Street float. For this year's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, that's and very so I've, cool. I've, I've been associated with Sesame Street since 1982, uh, right after uh, college. And wow. so I, uh, I got there because my teacher, 
was a puppeteer, puppet designer, builder named uh, Kermit Love, who happened to work for the Muppets. And no, the frog was not named after him. It was just <laughs> a weird coincidence. And he, I met him when I went to Pratt Institute here in Brooklyn, New York. And at that time, there were two colleges that offered puppetry courses in the United States, One, at least in this area. One was Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, and the other was the University of Store, Connecticut, which is still going on to this day. You can take a four-year puppetry program and get a master's degree in puppetry. But I ended up at Pratt Institute, and I ended up there because of, of my mother. The two people who I credit getting me to puppetry was one, Jim Henson, the guy with the frog. Yeah, no, I've heard one, of that guy And before. the other one was my mother, who was a single mom and uh, working two jobs to get me through a private school because I grew up in central Harlem, and so... I went to school downtown because it was a choice of either going to the school in our neighborhood where the kid got shot or where the kid got stabbed. So I went to Rhodes School, which was in midtown Manhattan at the time. And she always said, you can always get a job, get a career. And so she she inspired me, my imagination, my creativity. And when it was time to pick a career, I wanted to be a puppeteer. And I did my research on what I had to do. And it was the old-fashioned way back in 1979. It was called going to the library, which is like <laughs> Barnes and Noble, but it's free. And I got all the information, and I presented to her and said, "Okay, I know I want to be, I want to be a puppeteer." And I waited for like the reaction. And she said, "Okay, what do we have to do?" And I presented Pratt, and I presented UConn. And she said, "Okay, what do we have to do?" And I said, "The requirements for Pratt is due here. The requirements for UConn are due then." And she said okay, what else do we have to do? That's all she kept saying was, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? She never belittled it. She never dismissed it. She always encouraged me. And so that's why I'm a, I'm a puppeteer. And I continue to be a puppeteer because of the complete love and support of my wife, author Susan Elia McNeil, of the Maggie Hope Mysteries, available on <laughs> Random House and Random House Books for Kindle. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell our audience. It came out. If they're listening and they're interested, they want to know. Um, And actually, shameless promotion. Yes, I know. (laughs) This is this is your big chance for it. Your big chance. So, Noel, there's there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and uh, that's the Show Me Show. Yes, Um, the Show Me Show is a project uh, near and uh, dear to my heart. Uh, I just got off of doing the Wiz Live, which was. Uh, an amazing project to work on, which was also dear to my heart because being a uh, African American, I was very proud to uh, to be a part of this show. And so, the Show Me Show is also dear to me because it's a show that I want to create online and make it downloadable for families of kids of autism and special needs. And it's called the Show Me Show because it's educational vaudeville. And so, each show would have as a guest star a shape, a sound, a color, or a number. And I'm the host, and I have my puppet friends, a boy named Phineas, his sister Taylor, and a yak named Nona, who loves to dance, and Taylor loves to sing, and Phineas loves to tell stories. And so it's downloadable because then, at the beginning of the show, you have to help them create the show. And so if you want to help... So it's interactive. Say again? It's an interactive show. It is. Once you download it, then you would have the choice. If you want to help Taylor with 
her song, click on Taylor. If you want to help Phineas with his story, click on him. And then once you do that, then the show goes off in that particular character's storyline. But since you've downloaded it, you can come back and then pick the other character, and then it goes off in a completely different storyline with that character, but still having the same guest star. That's really cool. Thank you. I had an Indiegogo campaign uh, this past spring, and it raised enough money not to do episodes, but to create a website. So you go to theshowmeshow.com, and I have a Facebook page of The Show Me Show. And with the money, I also was able to... uh, um, to to um, working on creating an album of songs, an old-fashioned album that has like, um, if it's a, I was inspired by the Muppet Show album, so it has in between like dialogue and then it has songs. And so the album will be available next spring for the next campaign to raise the money in order to get the series off the ground, as well as create another character. Right now, Phineas has been created by James Voitall Jr., who also created the puppets for. Mouse King, and he will be creating the puppets for the show, and he'll be creating Taylor, so then we could do a new video featuring Taylor to help promote the campaign and the album. So, I lied. I have one more question for you. (laughs) Um, I just noticed it on your profile. I'm like, wait a minute. The resident puppeteer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver? How did you land that gig? Uh, Yeah, thanks to my friend, puppeteer and Broadway actress Stephanie DeBruzzo. She called me last year and said, no, are you free this weekend to work on a show? I said, sure, what? And she said, last week tonight with John Oliver. And I said, absolutely. And we did, uh, for the first season, it was a spoof based on a bit on Sesame Street that helped explain to children the whole concept of incarceration and having a parent or a relative in jail. Oh, okay. Yeah, John Oliver was doing a whole segment on prison reform, and he showed the clip from it. So then he segued over to his own little Sesame-like set, and myself, Stephanie, and uh, James Voitall were these three puppets who were singing about prison reform and incarceration. And if you go to the YouTube uh, channel for Last Week Tonight and just type in John Oliver prison reform, then you'll see us. And then after that... I've been on John Oliver being, you know, the front end of a Scottish unicorn. Um, I've been a polar bear with a broken penis. I've been, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been a, a diseased lung and a cowboy hat, and it's just gone on and on. So, yes, I'm sort of like the resident puppeteer for the show that just wrapped uh, season two, and it'll be back in February on HBO. Oh, tell him to hurry back, please. <laughs> like seriously, it's like every John more than ever. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm on every Monday night, seven to nine, and then I need to unwind, so I go home and I watch John Oliver on Monday night. <laughs> there you go. So he's off having a jolly holiday till February. Oh, he's downright jolly. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great guy. That's a great, great show. And um, let's tell our audience one more time where they can find out a little bit more about the Mouse King because it's playing. This Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Miami. Uh, where can they yes, find well, some tickets? Well, they go, if they go to the you know the great you know the interweb and the, the social media, there is on the there's the Twitter at the uh, Mouse King, and there's also my Twitter feed uh, at Noel McNeil, as well as the Facebook page of the Mouse King, and my Facebook page of McNeil Entertainment, and. To get tickets, go to mousekingtickets.com, 
and you can get all the information for the shows this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the Mouse King. Right. That's www.mousekingtickets.com. It's on a website called Brown Paper Tickets. There's a show Thursday, December 10th at 10 a.m., Friday, December 11th at 7 p.m., Saturday and Sunday, December 12th and 13th at 3 I'm sorry, yeah, Saturday and Sunday, uh, December 12th and 13th at 3 p.m. And all shows will be at the Mandelstam Theater, 8530 Southwest 57th Avenue. That's Red Road, and it's in South Miami. Noel McNeil, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Grant, and I hope you and your listeners have a very happy holiday season. Enjoy the Mouse King, and have a very healthy and safe new year. Oh, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to take a very short break and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And you've been listening to The Mouse King. I suggest you get online and find some tickets if you like this music. It's a lot of fun. It's a great show for kids. Uh, the puppet show is happening in South Miami at the Mandelstam Theater, 8530 Southwest 57th Avenue. And it's Thursday, December 10th at 10 a.m., Friday, December 11th at 7 p.m., and 3 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday, December 12th and 13th. That's mousekingtickets.com. And it's been a little over two years since we put the Only in Miami show 
on the air. And gosh, I tell you, I love it when I hear from folks that listen to the show, um, who are out and about. I appreciate your listenership. And I wanted to share with you guys a couple of the segments from this year that I enjoyed the most uh, with some of my favorite guests. And we're going to start off by sharing a segment that we recorded with the Burger Beast, whose event, The Sugar Pie, is coming up, I believe, next week. And we gave away five tickets to Sugar Pie on the air when he was here. It's one of my favorite segments. So let's take a listen to The Burger Beast on the Only in Miami show. Burger Beast, Burger Beast, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. No, thanks for having me. Dude, it's been long anticipated. Long anticipated. By who, you? Yes. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> so uh, tell our audience, uh, and, and by the way, for, for those out there who are listening, and this is your first time hearing of Burger Beast, we're in studio with Seth Gonzalez. He is known as the Burger Beast, but he created BurgerBeast.com. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, because, I mean, we, we want to introduce you to a whole new crowd of potential foodies here. Cool. Yeah. Uh, about seven years ago, I started writing about uh, locally owned businesses, and uh, it was really my wife's suggestion. I was kind of frustrated with my uh, retail management job, and uh, I kind of started focusing on burgers, obviously the name Burger Beast, which she, she also chose. And uh, I realized that, you know, people liked me writing about burgers, but they also liked me writing about croquetas or a lot of the, the really local local stuff like the Frita Cubana or even Fritangas and stuff that you can only really find in uh in Miami. And well, the the frita cubana is a burger, and that's like the bridge to those other foods, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, frita cubana is street food from from Cuba, so uh, yeah. it's kind of like uh, the hot dog carts on, in the United States. That's what they had in Cuba. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and for those out there who have never had a frita or a frita cubana, as it's formally known, <laughs> um, it's it's on Cuban bread, um, and then it's got julienne fries, and then the patty. I mean, that can be a few different things, right? Right. There's there's variations of the patty. Um, you know, probably, uh, you know, what they use is res, which is, you know, ground beef. Uh, some people put chorizo in there. Some people put pork. Um, depends where you go. I mean, the, there's a, a wide variety of stuff. Some people actually, you know, kind of stretch the meat by adding bread, crumbs, and milk, which we won't go into that. That's kind of a, <laughs> a naughty practice. But And, and let me tell you, uh, our producers just posted something to the the glass there. They said that El Rey de la Frita is here, which is, of course, one of my favorite places. Yes. I love to go there after the show, so this I, is a special I, treat. Yes, they. Uh, I, I told them I was going to be on here, and they wanted to bring you some uh, gifts. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> I am really, really starved, and it's been a long time since we actually had a nice meal on the show. The last time was with uh, the chef from Blue Collar and Mignonette, uh, oh, Danny, Danny Surfer. Yeah, I love Danny. Yeah, he's a great guy. So um, let's not go that far. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Danny. If you're listening out there, you better be listening. So, so okay. So you started writing about fritas and and croquetas, and, and that led you into something else, right? Right. I, I eventually started covering the the street food scene here, which now is known as the food truck scene, and uh, I produced the first uh, food truck event down here in South Florida, which eventually led. To me also creating and by me you know there's a team behind me that includes my wife who's you know the brains of the operation and, and a lot of great uh, team members so i don't want to solely take credit myself oh, please give a shout out to the team members <laughs> i see them they've got the team bb shirts on <laughs> that's right and we know who they are yeah T tell so, our know, tom vanessa fred uh i mean all the other people erica all the people who work with us uh, all the time you know um annabelle 
uh, Javi. That, you know, it's great. Great great team we have. And uh, you'll see them usually if you go to the, the ticketed events we do because – I know you were just recently at our Croqueta Palooza. Yes, I was. And, uh, you know, we do, the free to show, <laughs> we do free to showdown, uh, obviously, a competition around the frita. We do the burger brawl, which uh, we actually had to change the name now because of, you know, some, some people in Philadelphia. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were cheesesteak people in Philadelphia. What's um, up with that? Well, apparently not. Apparently they have a beef with me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for our listening audience, if you uh, if you go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash only in Miami, uh, we actually posted a tour of the, the Burger Beast Museum, right. which is your offices. So tell our audience a little bit about the museum, because it's pretty cool. Right. Well, you, you know, I, I started collecting memorabilia. I have a friend of mine named uh, Jim Winters. He does a lot of the neon signs around town. You see the really cool mischievous sign or like a Maroneras sign. He, he created all those signs. And uh, he, he, many years ago, gave me a sign for a restaurant that used to exist uh, from the 60s to the 80s called Burger Chef. And I became obsessed with it. I never ate there. And I just started <laughs> buying stuff from Burger Chef. Okay. Uh, and next thing I know, I have boxes and boxes of memorabilia of restaurants stored at my parents' house in my old bedroom. And, uh, you know, my That's mom. That's <laughs> convenient. I wish I had that kind of storage situation. Let well, me know where I can sign up for that. Oh, well, my, my mom wasn't having it. Uh, <laughs> hi, mom, by the way. And uh, so she told me, you need to get this stuff out of here. And, uh, and I don't think she said stuff, but let's keep going. <laughs> right. you're, I think you, you are correct. And she may have said it in Spanish, too. And, uh, and so we were looking for an office space because we now because the amount of events we were doing, we needed somewhere to store everything. And then we found a five-room office, and then pretty much my wife's like, what decor are we going to use? And I was like, well, she, she had no idea how much stuff I have been buying over the years. And I was like, well, you know, I got like these 10 boxes of things at my parents' house that I'll uh, and that's uh, how it just kind of uh, exploded onto the walls. I hope my fiance is listening to this <laughs> so she knows that all the stuff, Miami Heat stuff that I have at home will not go to waste. I'm going to follow your lead here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, you know, and, and for us, it's cool. You know, I, I get to, to work there, and I get to see all the stuff on the walls. And a lot, a lot of historical stuff from Miami, from, you know, Burger King number 2, you can see that's now La Palma. Uh, you can see the uh, pictures of the White Castle that used to be on 27. And I did say White Castle, yes, White Castle on 27th and Flagler. Uh, to the old Sambos on Miracle Mile. Uh, the royal castles. You saw all the stuff. Oh, yeah, all the it's mugs amazing. And all that. Well, people don't realize that the Denny's on Miracle Mile had a different name before. Tell tell our audience a little of the story behind that because it's very <laughs> it's very unique. Well, yeah, it was it was originally called Sambo's, and it was a combination of the owner's first one of the owner's first names and last name. It had a very uh, negative connotation that I don't really want to go into. Sure. And uh, once people kind of caught on to what was going on, they started getting a lot of heat and. By the time they decided to change the name and everything, that it, it just they ended up going out of business in 1981, I think it was. Okay, that's wow. I'm surprised <laughs> they lasted that long. And and the original location is still open in California, so. Okay. But well, I have oh. like some of the memorabilia and stuff, and I have the picture of the one that you know eventually became the Denny's on Miracle. Wow. And and there was another item that you had. I think it was a, an ashtray. Uh, a Denny's ashtray, but they used to be called Danny's? Right. Well, it's not an ashtray. It's actually a platter. Oh, that's a platter. Okay. Right. And they used to be called Danny's Donuts originally when they first opened in, on the West Coast. And then they switched to Denny's. And there was that period of time in between when they were changing. And so the plates actually say Danny's with the A and the E. Like, so I guess it was like, uh, let's. Uh... <laughs> we can't decide if we're Danny's or Denny's. So just call us something Danny's. Right. So uh, it's a it's a cool plate. Um, 
And there's a bu- there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, anyone who wants to go see it, if you go to BurgerBeastMuseum.com, there's a little form, and you can actually put your name in there, and, I, and I'll invite you over, and you can come out, and I'll explain everything to you. Okay, so if you want to check out the museum, BurgerBeastMuseum.com, right? And I just wanted to mention, for those who are listening right now, that we are going to give away some tickets later on in the show, right? That is correct. So what's what's the next Burger Beast Feast coming up? Because that's what we've got. The, yeah. They're all Burger Beast Feasts now, right? Right. All the, all the events are called Burger Beast Feasts now because uh, that's what they are. Like I said, you attended and you saw. I mean, there's no they way you're leaving. They are feasts. <laughs> there's they no way you're leaving hungry. Are. There's no way you're leaving hungry from there. And uh, they're they're all take uh, you know it's all inclusive ticketed events, and uh, they include anything from you know you know uh, you know some some spirits to you know some beer depending some snacks desserts. But food. a lot of whatever the food, whatever the involved. main, to- yeah. whatever the main topic is. In, in the case of the one that's coming December thirteenth, it's a, it's called sugar pie, and it's going to be all desserts and coffees. Okay, all desserts and coffees. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's something savory there. You'll have some. The, sort there of- are so Junior's Gourmet Burgers is going to be doing some sliders, and we'll be revealing little by little. Uh, if you go on there, you can kind of see like twelve of the the sweets that are going to be there. I know Swenson's, which has been around since 1976, they're doing something with Funky Buddha. They're doing a beer float. Oh wow! With sweet potato, uh, with their sweet potato beer. Okay, uh, that's very cool. So, I mean, basically, like to explain to our audience, each one of the Burger Beast feasts is it revolves around one particular kind of food. Right. So let's let's just throw them all out there because you mentioned Croqueta Palooza, right. which just happened, mm. and we're going to give away tickets later on in the show tonight. If you're listening, stay tuned to Sugar Pie. Yeah, and not only we get, we're going to give away five tickets to one, uh, which, you know, you usually get two tickets, and you got to figure out who you want to take. In this case, you can actually bring four people with you. I think that's very much in the Burger Beast spirit. There's plenty for everybody. Right. I mean, that's like, that's an important idea about these feasts. So what are the other ones that are coming up through the, the calendar year? Uh, so, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Burger Ball, we got to change the name. Uh, I have a new name for it. Actually, the first time I'll, I'll mention it publicly, it's called... Uh, <laughs> it's called Hamburger House Party. The uh, Burger Beasts, yeah. b- the Burger Beast Feast, Hamburger House Party. You and heard I, it here <laughs> first, only in Miami. And uh, and uh, it's it's uh, it's gonna be a, a cool event. Uh, I, I don't want to reveal too much. I mean that event's not all the way till till May. So uh, we're way uh, like you said, Frida Showdown's another one we do, and a new a new one that we'll be doing next year is revolving around uh, sausages and hot dogs, and of course we're calling it Wiener Bash. Ah, so, that's wonderful. Yeah. So my question is, can I take my Dachshund to your Wiener Bash? <laughs> we would like to figure out a way to do that because we actually want to have a contest with dogs. Okay. I'm you know. prepared. I've got two of them. <laughs> two wonderful really? Dachshunds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were at Dachstoberfest <laughs> this past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know such a thing existed. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, it exists. And it's awesome. I mean, you're talking about like a thousand Dachshunds, Wiener Dogs, all in one place. It's hysterical. <laughs> that sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. So let's do this. El Rey de la Frita is waiting outside. And I'm going to give out the call-in number. So if anybody wants to call in, this is the time. We're going to take some questions in the next segment if we get a few calls. 305-541-2350. Um, we're going to do the giveaway a little bit later, but you got to stay tuned. And if you want to call and ask the Burger Beast a question, it's 305-541-2350. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I hope you enjoyed that segment with the Burger Beast. Actually, this weekend, December 13th, Sugar Pie is coming to Miami. You can get your tickets. They're having a Fuacata $20 ticket sale today only. 
Sugar S U G A Pie P I E Miami dot com, and uh, they're going to have the Buena Vista Deli, uh, Cafe Creme, Casa Joya, Cinnabisto, Exquisito, Fireman Derek's World Famous Pie, Hip Pops, Nosberry Farm is going to be there. Liquid and an ice cream, uh, Little Gilbert's Cookie Company, Night Owl, the Salty Donut, and of course Swenson's. Uh, they're going to have sweet dogs there. It is a celebration of coffee dessert. Uh, I'm telling you, you can't miss Burger Beast Feast, the Sugar Pie, sugarpiemiami.com. And we'd like to play another great segment from this year's programming. It's with Kid Ice. Uh, he released his book, My Rise to Fame, and it was featured at the Miami Book Fair International uh, this past month. So let's roll the tape. Live in studio with very special guest, Fresh Kid Ice. Fresh Kid, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, it is my pleasure as a very, very longtime fan. And we've also got uh, Jacob, Jacob Cattell. Yeah, Jacob Cattell representing live on 880, the biz where the money talks. That's right. <laughs> thanks for coming in, guys. I mean, it is my pleasure. I was just saying earlier that I was always a huge fan of Two Live Crew growing up in Miami. Thank you. And, uh, you know, you've got a book that just came out, and you're going to be at the Miami International Book Fair. So tell our audience a little bit about your book, My Rise to Fame. Well, it's my autobiography, you know, how I grew up, where I came from, how Two Life Crew started and everything. You know, it tells you everything, you know. Well, where did you grow up? Are you from Miami originally? No, nah, I was born in Trinidad. Okay. Went to Brooklyn. The day after the blackout in Brooklyn, the summer of Sam. Oh, good timing. Right. And 1977. <laughs> yeah, I was I was busy doing something else right around then. Uh, I'm not going to say it on the air. <laughs> what, being born? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that week. <laughs> okay. Booth's got it. They got it covered. <laughs> and then um, after, you know... Going to New York after graduating high school, went to the Air Force, where we started two live crew on March Air Force Base in Riverside, California. You know, I bet most people don't know that two live crew started <laughs> in California on an Air Force Base. Exactly, and we had our own record company and everything while in the military on the West Coast. Okay, so how long were you out there? We were out there for like a couple of years, um, from like 84 till 86. Okay. And then after, in 86, that's when I got out. And, and that's I when everything out, changed, right? Yeah, well, when when I was in the military still, that's when we recorded um, Throw the D. Okay. And it was a, kind of a dilemma because, you know, we had befriended... Um, the, the ghetto style DJs and Luke was part of the ghetto style DJs and you know he wanted to like manage us and so forth so since we had our own record label out there we we wanted to know should we stay on the west coast or come to Miami we debated had a few meetings with different people in LA like Jerry Heller spoke to the, the distribution company in in Santa Monica and everything, and, you know, we decided to start fresh in Miami. So 
when uh, that's when Tour D came out. That that's a big decision because back then Miami wasn't known so much as a music town, but Los Angeles was the heart of the music industry. Right, it was it was for the heart for hip hop. You know, New York was for hip hop, but L.A. was getting its own. You know, when they had like the Egyptian Lover, the L.A. Dream Team, and so forth, and then Ice T was out there and so forth. Well, L.A. was still growing into the hip-hop era. Right. New York was really, like, in it for several right. years at that and, point. And, you know, L.A. had the, the more electronic style. And, you know, Miami was the dance town, so. True, true. So so you guys moved here also to be closer to Luke? Well, we decided to start a new label for the group. And the label was Luke Skywalker Records, since, you know, we already had affiliation with Macola Records on the West Coast, we still had a that label over there, and we decided to try a new label. So we de- developed this label for us, you know, and it was a joint venture. It started off as a joint venture, then later on, you know, it turned into from ours to his. So that's when, you know, you got to read the book. Oh, yeah. It's all in the book. It's all in the book. Oh, yeah, man. I plan on it. Uh, I've got a copy right here, and uh, believe me, I'm looking forward to it. If this had been mailed in, I would have read it already. Oh, (laughs) damn. Hey, boy, check it out. We're going to be at the the, uh, Miami International Book Fair, the biggest book fair in North America, November 21st, 10 a.m., bright and early. Uh, True Tales Miami Hip Hop. Okay, uh, what building are you guys going to be in? Do you know? I yet? believe that's building two, but if you go to MiamiBookFair.com, you can see all the info, and we shout out 880 The Biz, where the money talks, because money's always talking, and so are we. So come check us out at the Book Fair on November 21st, 10 a.m. That's, that's True right. the Tales of Miami Hip Hop. We'll be there That's the day after the, the, the Legends of Hip Hop. You know, we played the Friday Night Legends of Hip of um the old school. With vanilla ice, salt and pepper at the BBNT, you know. Oh man! Yeah, two live crews doing shows all over the country. Might have to go to that too. Right, you got to. <laughs> right there at UM. Are you Kane's heads? Yeah, man. So that's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. So you're gonna have to, you know, yeah, pack I'm, it in early. Get up. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all good. I'm used to it. <laughs> it's grueling, man. It's grueling. <laughs> it's all good. So, um, you know, tell our audience a little bit about the era when you guys went through all these court battles over Two Live Crew's lyrics, because that was a huge First Amendment issue. And in my book, there's a lot of artists out there, but there's very few that have stood up for civil rights with their artwork. Exactly. Um, And a lot of people don't know that, um, you know, since Two Live Crew got arrested in Hollywood, right? Yeah. After that, a few months later, that's why Rock the Vote started. Okay. because of that. And this year, we went to D.C. like a couple weeks ago and um, kicked it off again for the new elections coming up in 2016. That's awesome. I didn't know that Rock the Vote started because of the First Amendment. Yeah, because other labels didn't want their artists to go through the same things that Two Live Crew went to, being arrested and so forth. That's why Madonna was the first one to ever air on a PSA for at MTV. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, for you know, there's there's those out in the audience who don't know the whole story. Um, and I'll tell you what, we're going to take a really short break, and we're going to pick up with that story, because 
that to me that's like such an important Miami story. It transcends music. You know, it's something that touches every single person in this country yeah, every be, single day. Yeah, because voting changed things. It does change things. And we'll be right back. And this is the only in, in Miami, Miami show. show. <laughs> All righty. And you've been listening to uh, one of our segments with Fresh Kid Ice of the Two Live Crew. We've got one more segment to share with you from Freddie Stebbins, but we're going to take a really short break, and we'll be right back for real this time. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're sharing some of the best segments of 2015 with you. And I wanted to play one from Freddie Stebbins, the amazing local comedian. Freddie, take it away, buddy. Here's JJ. We're live in the studio with uh, OnlyInMiami.co's Comedian of the Month, Miami's Comedian of the Month, Freddie Stebbins, um, who is, you know, there's a whole entourage in here. You guys got to see what's going on. Freddie, like, rolls deep, man. <laughs> Freddie, who, who's, that, who's that next to you, man? I, I know this guy from back in the day, I think. Uh, yeah, JJ, uh, you, some of your listeners might know him. Um, this is the guy that does all those really bad pirate radio stations in Overtown. Um, he's not quite Jamaican. We think he's Trinidadian. I'm not sure what he is. He's very difficult to understand, but uh, he's a real pop. He's the best guy's popular in Miami. Oh, wait, you, you're letting him off the weekends. You know, 880 on the weekends is mostly uh, Caribbean. It, well, then you might. Some of your listeners might recognize. No, this we guy. have a lot of love for Pirate Radio. We Frank, have a lot, you know, our hold Frank on. We have, you know, our DJ of the month, uh, Tom LaRock, started on Pirate Radio in Miami. Um, um, uh, DJ Khalid started on Pirate Radio in Miami, as well as our gentleman right here. And this is uh, this is uh, DJ Nigel. And DJ, come on in here. Have a seat. All right. Nigel, uh, welcome to the Only in Miami show, my man. How you doing? Looking good. Look at your fool walking around here in the 880 room here with all the small people walking around. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hey, what are, you, what are you calling small around here? I'm talking about small. Everything that's small is good. Everything that's tight is round. Everything that's big is big. Everything that's small is small. Everyone that talk about it, I just want you to understand that I've been working here for 42 years in the underground radio on Northwest 27th Avenue and 19th Street. That's 27th Avenue and 19th Street, 14th Street, Baltazar. <laughs> so is this your new favorite radio station? Well, you know, I'm actually from Trinidad. I know that wasn't the question. But, uh, 
I'm actually from Trinidad. In Trinidad, we actually got all kinds of stations, you know. We got stations, big stations. We got little stations. We got local stations. We got government stations. This one's like all of them wrapped up in a big fat tamale, you know. I really, really like it. Kind of dark, dingy, little bit nice, good-looking people. Kind of tight, underground, on the rest of it. I like everything ground, underground, you know. Underground and gas stations they have also. I oh imagine. man, we got a lot of gas stations, you know. We're sort of for, I can throw coconut to Venezuela from where I'm from. We're very, very close, you know. Hey man, where you from? You from down here? You know who I am? You ever heard my show? My show, you can catch my show on AM 2020, 2020, 2020. Northeast 27th Avenue, 19th to 17th. That's 2020, 19th, 17th Avenue. Tell them the Tisha sent you. It's two for one drinks. Two for one drinks tonight. That's right, two for one drinks. Ladies, 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 21 over, all the purple poison you can read. Tell them my race sent you and you get a free ham sandwich in the back. Nigel, so what's the name of your show again? <laughs> well, my name, my, my show is called Poppin' It. Popping it in Miami. That's on 97.927 FM on the AM dial on Fridays from 5.27 p.m. to 6.03 FM. It broadcasted from the Home Depot parking lot on Northwest 27th Avenue and 19th Street. That's Northwest 27th Avenue and 19th Street. You can catch it every time. Tell them Popple said you. <laughs> you know, uh, we're welcoming you to the 880 lineup. I think you're going to bring a tremendous... Amount of gravitas to the studio that was missing before. Well, man, I want to tell you, this is the biggest radio station, like authentic, real radio station I've ever been a part of. So, like, I feel honored to be a part of it. Like, this is big. Like, you have your own light bulbs and everything. <laughs> <laughs> this place is big. I'm honored to be. I hope I'm a regular on it. You know, every week you can catch me here. That's that's about the only thing they can afford at our <laughs> station. They got light bulbs. Not a nice light bulbs, you know. Not, like, not, not, not you know why I saw a light bulb at that, like that? At Where? the Home Depot of Northwest 27th <laughs> Avenue. That's Northwest 27th Avenue, 14th Street. That's right, ladies, ladies, ladies. Party, 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 29th. Nigel, we want to thank you for coming into the OnlyMiamiShow.com. We got a, we got a huge uh, entourage with Freddie, so we got to we got to give up some airtime for you. All right, all right, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All fools out there, have a good time. Love it, Eddie. Respect. <laughs> Respect. Respect, man. All righty, all righty. Let's bring Freddie back in. Freddie. Freddie. Oh, man, that guy's. Where'd you find that guy? I, uh, I was at a Home Depot. <laughs> and <laughs> needed some help. Oh, the one in Coconut Grove? Yes, you know the one in Coconut Grove. The <laughs> mini, the mini Grove one. The mini, mini Home Depot. So, in other words, you're saying. That if it wasn't for Mark Sarnoff, you would have never found exactly. a very the pirate good radio guy. If it wasn't for Mark sense. Sarnoff and keep the Grove All right, I got movement. something for Grant. I wish this was live TV. You put, it would be better. Take that, Grant. Oh, I'll take <laughs> I, it all right. I we'll found, laugh about I, this later. I found that on my – it's a flyer, full-page flyer for uh, – what's her name? Teresa Sarnoff? Well, I, oh, that's his wife, right? Is that who I think it is, Freddie? Is that who I think it is? Is that uh, who I, wait? Is, who, who who are you bringing in here? I think he's like channeling some Santero, like mystical, magical, like reincarnation. Like maybe Lisette did something before this she is, left. This is, is unbelievable. That, but is, is that him? This may, it is him. Is that is that Walt, that's, Walter Mercado? That is Walter Mercado. Oh my God, he's the, coming in here. The Walter Mercado. Is that it? That's that's him. That's he's wearing a cape. Oh my God, that's a, that's his cape, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Walter. Let's say hi to him, shall we? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's get him on let's the mic. Get him on the hi. mic. Hi. Oh, my God, hi. bro. Capricornio. <laughs> Ay, con amor, mi amors. Thank you very much, Grant. 
Thank you very much, yay, yay. Thank you every... Everybody listening for me today in Miami. This is a miracle. This transcends Elian Gonzalez. This is not even humanly possible. How did you get here? I, today, <laughs> under the sign of Virgo, under the 27th parallel of Jupiter, when the sun reaches dawn at the arrow of Junipus in the, the morning, you will feel a sensation and something will come over you. Hi! <laughs> Amor. <laughs> By the way, you can call him Hota Hota if that's Ay, better for you. Jota. Can you guess my sign? Pisces. Close. Capricornio. Mm, closer. Virgo. Close. Leo. Close. Cancer. No, thank you. I don't want no cancer. Pisces. Close. Peace. <laughs> Dyslexia. Dyslexia. Like, that's, that's and you've been I listening to Freddie Stebbins, the incomparable comic Freddie Stebbins, uh, from earlier this year. Uh, like I said, we're celebrating two years on the air. We wanted to bring up some of our favorite segments. We listened to Burger Beast and also to Fresh Kid Ice earlier. And I would like to thank Noel McNeil, who called in tonight from The Mouse King. Uh, it was really a lot of fun to chat with him. And uh, you can keep an eye open for him on Last Week Tonight, which is on HBO every week. It's on hiatus until February, but if you've got HBO, you can always hit the button and see some of his amazing puppets. And check them out at MouseKingTickets.com. They're going to be playing in Miami Thursday through Sunday. Of course, Burger Beast Sugar Pie is coming up this Sunday. Check out SugarPieMiami.com. And I would like to thank Elaine Del Valle of PoliticalCourtTarito.com. She's Ladra. And, of course, the incomparable Carlos Miller of PhotographyIsNotACrime.com for joining us in the studio. It was a wonderful show, and I hope that everybody out there enjoyed listening tonight. And we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.